when believers in Jesus put his words into action and love their enemies, powerful things can happen. Nick Ripkin has seen this around the world. I can't tell you how many security policemen in the worst places on the planet that we have sat with and heard their story that came to Christ because the people they were beating in turn loved them in Jesus' name. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and uh, we have the great privilege this week of talking with Nick and Ruth Ripkin. You will probably know their names, uh, Nick, as the author of the book, The Insanity of God. They also have been with us before on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and we will kind of point you back to that episode a little bit. They have served for more than 35 years with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, They have studied and talked to and interviewed countless Christians who have faced persecution and uh, are really experts on that. So Nick and Ruth, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. We're excited to be with you again. Last time we talked, uh, it was right before the release of the film, The Insanity of God. And uh, we talked a little bit about the book. We talked about the film, which was just coming out. What has been some of the results of that or the feedback that you've gotten since the film was released? There's countless emails and stories of people who have read the book, who have seen the movie, but the one that rings so clear in in our hearts is one from a 93-year-old man who wow. said, I read Insanity of God, and I realized I had not been sharing my faith with anyone for all these years, and I promised God that until the day I die, I will at least share with someone every day. And he continues to be faithful. And so that's what we're seeing is people realizing crossing the street with the gospel is the most exciting thing that they can do. Last year, uh, we got a a Facebook message that started out with, we got out of prison in China in September. So that sort of uh, entices you to read the rest of the message. And there was some international politics going on. Canada had arrested a a spy, and and this couple had gone to China 30-some years ago, and their story's out there, so I'm not letting anything out that shouldn't be out. And I think they went two or three months within their their marriage, and in the last few years, they've moved closer to that uh, border with that country uh, north of South Korea. And the security police just went down and arrested this mission couple took them to an unregistered facility. Uh, they went off the grid for nine months. Wow. Family, government, no one knows where they are. She doesn't know that he's on the seventh floor. He doesn't know that she's on the third floor. Every day they wake up, they have at least three Chinese security policemen sitting there staring at them, writing down everything they do, everything they say, every action they take, whether it's a restroom, whether it's a drink of water. They have to write confessions out orally. They have to write them out. And uh, you're here for your life, they said. They're in there by themselves, not another person except security policemen. No one knows where you are. 
and these are not Chinese citizens. These, these are, are Canadians. Canadians. So you kind of think, hey, my, my Western passport is my protection. Clearly, that was not the case for them. No, you know, international politics can do some really wacky things. And, but it's one of those cases where, where men intended it for evil, God intends it for good. And so a couple of months into this, when they're being told you're going to be here the rest of the life, and they were for nine months. Right. Chinese security police came to him on the seventh floor, I think it was. I might get this wrong. Her on the third floor and said, you might as well have something to read. And these are the only books you're going to get. And the security police had chosen them. Gave her three books. Gave him two books. Both of them were given the insanity of God. By security police in an unknown facility. None of their team members had the book. None of our team members in the area had the book. It wasn't available in China, so outside of the Holy Spirit, there's no answer for why they got the book and were able to read, here's how believers in persecution teach us how to live for Jesus in prison. And they said, uh, this book became our guidestone. So to see what God has done in such practical ways with the book is just amazing. I can only imagine those Chinese guards thought, oh, this will probably make them become atheists. Look at this. This is the insanity of God. Yeah, they need to know about that. That's the only way that I can think that they would have done something <laughs> like that. And so they, they thought they were getting one up on God and he was getting three up on them. So, <laughs> Tertullian, the church historian, said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You've, you've met persecuted Christians all over the world. How do you process that quote? We, we use this a lot. Tertullian was a church father. He didn't write any books of the Bible. See, he was talking about the church after Pentecost. He's talking about a church that has hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers of Christ in it. It's organized in communities. It, it has a, a church hierarchy. And where there are that kind of setting after Pentecost and you've got someone to pray with you, pray for you, go with you in persecution. Oh, take care of your family while the, the pastor, the elder, the deacon, uh, the church planner is in prison or, or being tortured. When you have all of that, the blood of the martyrs authenticates the faith, shows that we're willing to die for Jesus, and is the seed of the church. But before Pentecost... And this is true in most of the Muslim world, where they don't have somebody to pray for them, where, where they don't have anybody to go with them. They, they, they don't have anybody to take care of their family. Maybe they don't have a family that's believers. Maybe their family is the one that put them in prison. When we get in what Ruth and I call a pre-Pentecost environment where believers are scattered, alone, and afraid, that's when they probably need voice of the martyrs the most and folks like us the most because they have no community. And if you have 150 believers in Somalia and all but four of those are killed, the blood of the martyrs is the death of the church and you start over. So it depends on whether you're pre-Pentecost or post-Pentecost, I didn't say Pentecostal, that'd get me in trouble with a Baptist, right. all right? But, but where there are just dozens of believers or a handful of followers, and they're scattered alone and afraid, one of the greatest miracles of the Bible is those miracles that are unseen. 
Thousands followed Jesus. He fed thousands. He healed hundreds. He, he raised from the dead. And he, and he did all of those things. But in a horrible Roman-dominated environment, all of those thousands of people that followed Jesus, not a one was tortured. Not a one went to prison while Jesus was alive. Not, not a, a, a one was killed. None of that happened. Jesus created a bubble pre-Pentecost that allowed people to hear, understand, believe, and then in Acts 2 and Acts 4, the church exploded. But that bubble that Jesus created by being such a wise, cross-cultural, if you will, uh, carrier of the kingdom of God, anybody that died following Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, except for John the Baptist, if they died, they died of natural causes. They weren't killed for who Jesus was. So the point you are in the church planting uh, matrix, if you will, really gives persecution value for the kingdom of God or it almost eliminates it. I think the big thing we have to realize is that we become the family for those who are in persecution. It's been so real for me as we've talked to believers that they often say when we were in persecution, when we were in prison or in our home locked in rooms, they told us that our story, our voice would never be heard. That's what the bad guys told them. And that you are, you're in this prison for life, your story will never be told. And what God is allowing us to see is, yes, the blood of the martyrs is the seat of the church where the church can learn from the church. But when the church is not visible and not available, those of us who are part of the body that are in another location have to carry those believers and allow their stories not to die and give them their voice back. Which is part of what we do on the Voice of Martyrs Radio is just share those stories and let them share those stories. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Nick and Ruth Ripkin. You guys have sat down and interviewed would you say thousands of persecuted Christians? Is that fair? Hun certainly hundreds. We have uh, documented 700 okay. uh, in 72 countries, and, and these are not like 15 minutes, tell me about your faith. These are minimum of three, four, five, six hours, and some of the believers in persecution understand their faith in context of country, culture, and international events. Uh, we stayed with those two or three days. Okay. I mean, it's, it's sitting at the feet of Esther and, and Simon Peter and Paul and Silas as they've come out of prison and just say, how do we make Christ known and how do we plant especially house churches that can multiply? Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, and my culture generally trained us to be sheep among sheep. And believers in persecution have reminded us if we are active in our faith, sharing our faith with others, where there is a great harvest, there's a great persecution. And the question, I think that we are asking the American church and the Western church is not, why are those people persecuted? Why are you not? And generally, why we are not is, it's estimated in some denominations that 95% of their membership never share Christ with another person. Why would Satan wake that up when it's already shut itself up? So we talk about sheep among wolves. What are the most important qualities? And obviously we could talk for the next six days or six months, but are there two or three things that you consistently see 
these are the sheep that go out among the wolves and are successful, successful reaching the wolves and successful keeping a hold of their faith in the midst of the wolves. Are there a couple qualities that our listeners and us, typically American Christians, can say, wow, Lord, help me to develop that quality in my life? One of the things that we often teach is that everyone that came to Jesus in the New Testament came to Jesus in a local language. Nobody came through an interpreter. Now, can God use that? God can use anything. But when God sends Muslims dreams and visions, of course, he always does that in English. No, he never <laughs> does that in and, English. And King James English as yeah, well. Of course. So God sends it into their heart language. And we find when workers like ourselves learn the local language and culture, persecution caused by the outsider is tremendously diminished. But sadly, the opposite is true. When we go into environments of persecution without language, without culture, persecution caused by the Westerner soars. And in Somalia, sadly, that led to the death of local believers. And my wife is such an expert on reaching Muslim women and the family, I think, secondly, we need to talk about that. Yeah, I think everybody who's interested in sharing across the street or around the ocean need to involve their entire family. It's so important that we model what God has created as we are family, and singles are part of our families. Don't ever think that they're just an appendage. But we, we model having people in our home as a family, and what happens, we break bread together, and it's around that table that suddenly we see church really be planted. I can tell a story of a family who had a lady who came in from another country living across the street. She'd been there 20 years, and they had never invited her to their home. And after we talked about this one day, she said, I went across the street and I invited this lady and her family to our home. And when the lady left that night, she was weeping. And she said, I've been here 20 years and no one has allowed me to be their friend. And tonight now I have a friend. And she was just weeping. And, and we realized that that's what it's going to take for us. If we don't do it now, when we automatically go overseas and think we're going to be workers in some other country, we won't do it there. We have to start here. And our problem in America is we have lost that gift of hospitality. We have forgotten what our grandparents did on Sundays. They invited everybody to their home. And as we do that in our communities, I think we're going to see just God be glorified in, in homes that have never met Jesus. The hospitality lesson is one we can learn from some of our Muslim friends. Uh, I mean, I will never forget being in a Central Asian country, and we encountered a kind of college-age girl, and she said, you're from America? You're just visiting? And literally, she dropped what she was doing and spent about six hours walking all over the city, making sure we saw all the good places and knew where the good tea places were. And, and I was just like, don't you have a schedule? Didn't you have stuff to do? But their thing is, you're visiting my country. I'm going to roll out the red carpet for you. It takes us 15 minutes, cold contact in a Muslim country, first time there to be asked out for tea. It never <laughs> takes us longer than 30 minutes with intentionality to be invited to their home for a four, five, six-hour meal. 
And wow. their hospitality rituals and rites are so sacred to come to our country and be here th 30 years and not be welcomed to the country, not be asked where they're from. We ask them, have you ever met a Christian? They ask, what's that? Have you ever heard of Jesus? Who's that? Uh, what's your number one impression of our country? This is the loneliest place I've ever been. I'm having to send home to Pakistan, to India, wherever they're from, to have somebody come over just to have somebody to talk to. This is not brain surgery. One of our friends says to be a missional church, you have to have those who go, those who train those who go, those who fund those who go, and fourthly, those who welcome the strangers in their midst. And this is where our 55, 65, 70-year-old Christians are not doing the job in my own country in welcoming. Uh, uh, Muslims don't have to be our enemy. We can make them our friend. Jesus was criticized often for breaking bread with sinners and publicans. Muslims come to Christ through shared meals quicker than anything we do. I want to go back to some of the persecuted Christians that you've met, and I want to just get your thoughts on the issue of forgiveness. I think, you know, as I hear some of these stories of, of incredible suffering, and then I hear, but I forgave them. I love them. I'll never forget being in Ethiopia, and a pastor took us out to meet an evangelist there. It was in a Muslim area of Ethiopia. And in the course of our conversation, the pastor kind of motioned over at the evangelist and said, he used to beat me. And I was like, what? Wait, there's a story there. Well, yeah, he used to be my persecutor, but now he's this evangelist, and I'm, we're working together. I'm helping him out. How does somebody go through some of the things that you've heard and seen and talked to people about and then forgive? How, how can you explain that? The uh, Chinese helped me a lot on this. They said the quickest way to end your persecution is to love your persecutors and win them to Christ. They said the persecutors, they punish us by the persecution. But if we hate them, then we punish ourselves a second time. And, and so why would we do that? When we love them, uh, we both release that hatred out of our own spirit. But uh, history now is filled of the persecutors going into coliseums with Christians and, and, and standing up for them. I, I can't tell you how many security policemen in the worst places on the planet that we have sat with and heard their story that came to Christ because the people they were beating in turn loved them in Jesus' name. We have a book at Voice of the Martyrs called Saul to Paul, and it's, that's the, those stories, people who were Saul and now they're Paul. You're listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're talking with Nick and Ruth Ripkin. Nick is the author of a book called The Insanity of God, and uh, we've had Nick and Ruth on before. I encourage you, come to our website, vomradio.net, and listen to those conversations. You can also listen to this one again. Nick and Ruth, I want to talk about how we can encourage and support missionaries as, you know, I'm an American Christian, I live here in the U.S., I have missionaries that I know, missionaries I support, I pray for. So help me understand as an American Christian how to be a blessing and an encouragement. And I mean this both 
when they're in wherever they are, and also, you know, every three or four or two years when they come home to America, how do we, as our churches, as American families, how do we encourage and bless and strengthen those missionaries to keep doing what they're doing on the front lines? They have no place to play, and they have no place to pray. They have to get on an airplane, oftentimes, in an Afghanistan or Somalia or Yemen or, you know, a lot of places. The list goes on and on. They have to get on an airplane and go somewhere just to have a vacation. They can't afford it. But w what does that do to them when a church just comes over and says, we want to send you to Dubai or we want to send you to Nairobi to a game park or we want to love on you this much. But most of all, we just want to come and we want to worship with you. The other thing I appreciate, Todd, that you said was how do we bless those who are on the field? Blessing is something that's become very dear to me as I watched my father and my mother bless Nick and I to go to the nations. They didn't just do it once. They did it every single time we came home. As Nick said, we were exhausted. We were worn out. They ministered to us, and then they had us kneel before them, and they blessed us again to go out. That's what churches need to do. The pastor of the church that Nick and I go to right now, he makes it a point that every year he visits every single family who has been launched from his church. Wow. We need churches to say, I'm freeing up my pastor to make sure he goes and looks these people in the eye. We can, we can cover up a lot of things in our newsletters, on phone calls, but when you look someone in the eye, you can see, are they doing well? What else can we do as a church to bless this couple so that the nations can be blessed? We find that lost families bless their children to go to the mission field more than church people do. Because like my father would make something up about why I went to Somalia. And, and I went home to one of our uh, restaurants where the waitress tells you where to sit and tells you to be quiet and tells you what you're going to eat and <laughs> tells you you haven't paid your bill. And all, and all of these older men began to clap when I walked in the restaurant and pat me on the back. And, and I said, Dad, they took me back in only the room the Rotarians can go in. I got that room. And I said, Dad, what's going on? He said, I told them what you've done. This was before my dad was a believer. I said, what did you tell them? I told them that you brought 33 some thousand troops into Somalia. I said, Dad, I did no such thing. He said, were you there first? I said, yes. Did you give interviews and write stuff about it? I said, yes. He said, you're going to save that country. And those people were ashamed, and they had to come in and, and save that country. And later on, after Black Hawk went down and people left, I, I said, now, Dad, what are you going to tell people now? He said, I've already told them. I said, Dad, what did you tell them now? He said, I told them they didn't listen to you, and they had to leave. <laughs> But now, church people know we only go for who Jesus is. And if they don't believe that Jesus is worth it, they don't bless their kids to come. They, they don't have a story to make up. And so we need parents and grandparents and even children at time to truly believe in Jesus. Otherwise, why would they put their families at risk and send them to the nations? We can tell when people get off the airplane now whether they've been blessed to be there are not to be there. That's Nick Ripkin reminding all of us who are parents that it's so important that we turn our children over to the Lord to do His will. 
Nick and Ruth Ripkin have been our guests today here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We had to cut in halfway through that conversation. You're going to hear part two of the conversation next week here on VOM Radio. If you missed any of today's conversation, I hope you'll visit our website, vomradio.net. You can hear this entire program again. You can also hear our past interview with Nick and Ruth Ripkin about their book and the film, The Insanity of God. Again, that website, vomradio.net. You'll also find a link there to get a copy of that book for yourself when you visit vomradio.net. I want to encourage you, get a copy of The Insanity of God and read the book. It is powerful. As you heard today, Nick and Ruth don't care very much about conventional wisdom. Instead, they lean on their vast experience around the world and the wisdom they've gained from persecuted Christians to get new ways of looking at things. They're going to bring more of that fresh perspective to us again next week. So I hope you'll be back with us right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.